Welcome to the AEC Hive podcast, where we're talking about innovation in the architecture, engineering, and construction sector. I'm Ralph Montague, a director at ArcDocs, and I'm joined by my fellow co-founder of AEC Hive, John Egan from BIM Launcher. John, do you want to just say a quick hi to everyone? Hi, everyone. John Egan from BIM Launcher here. I'm looking forward to another podcast. Excellent. So we're very excited today to be down south to Australia and meeting with Gavin Crump, who is the founder of the Aussie BIM Guru. And uh, we're really excited to have you here, Gavin. Do you want to introduce yourself and just give us a little bit of a background of your company or what you're doing? Yeah, certainly. Um, so I guess um, g'day to everyone listening. Thanks for having me on board. Great to be here. Um, so I guess uh, my name's Gavin. Um, some of you might know me through my YouTube ventures as the Aussie BIM Guru, where I share um, some tutorials on Revit and Dynamo, Navisworks and all sorts of other programs. But I guess some of you might know me from what I do in Australia, which is um, typically for the last 10 years I've been working in BIM. So I started off working on a, a large scale hospital project in my hometown of Adelaide in South Australia and worked my way up as a BIM technician with an architectural background. So I studied up to a master's and then I, so I went from a BIM technician and then I moved around a few offices until I moved to Sydney where I came up to the role of BIM manager. And then I've sort of jumped between BIM coordination and BIM management roles since then and sort of gained a bit of a thirst for helping more types of people through that, which led me to launch my BIM consulting firm, which is called BIM Guru. So I launched that in January of this year. So a lot of opportunities that have come to me and I'm, I'm really enjoying um, just working with all things BIM and all things AEC. So I'm really looking forward to having a chat today's podcast. Yeah, so um, John and I launched this AEC Hive initiative because we had a general feeling that innovation in the AEC sector just wasn't moving as quickly mm. as we felt it should. It seemed like the even though we had these fantastic technologies and ways of doing things that in general the sector was was not embracing those things and just sort of plowing on with working yeah, in, in business, traditional business ways. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is, is that your sense? What, what's the scene in Australia? That... Yeah, I definitely agree that, um, you know, whilst there's a lot of great ideas sort of buried under, underneath the weight of the AEC industry and its, its inertia that sort of carries it forward, it's not necessarily shared around as often as it could be or sometimes it's stored away in, you know, mental silos where people can't access it. So a big part of what I did was trying to sort of open up some of those those silos and connect more people together through such networks as LinkedIn and YouTube and Twitter. And I'm seeing a lot of you know really great development in Australia, especially coming on the back of such programs as Dynamo and Grasshopper that have sort of brought programming to the mainstream, which has really allowed us to you know work a lot more efficiently. So we're seeing a lot of a lot of traction coming from that. So that was sort of yeah my take on it in Australia as well. So I think we have a lot in common through what we've, what we've experienced in our countries. And um, I mean, Australia is obviously quite well known for the built uh, group, you know, the, mm. which started as the RTC group. And, and, and yeah, I, think, um, I think we've got the longest running Sydney, uh, the Revit Sydney user group, I think was the first, the first Revit user group in the world, from what I understand. So I, I still go to that one when it's on. Good. A long history. And I was hoping to go to built this year as well, but um, I think that's been delayed till 2021 um, now. Mm. So even though that there's a long history in Australia of BIM, and do you, do you find it still that it's not the majority of people are embracing this, yeah, this that, way of working? Def, definitely. There's a definitely like a bit of a, a them and us sort of um, mentality, when, I find, when it comes to BIM. Like we still haven't found that that way to unify 
the thinking of you know project project management styles and design styles and what BIM can do for them and it's it's probably a bit of a bit of onus on both the BIM users and also on the non-BIM users to come together a bit more effectively. That there is probably more crossing of the streams happening now between all of these pieces that bring together a, a building and a project. But yeah, it's still it's still catching up. We're still not there. Like we're nothing like say an industry like say Microsoft or Google, the sort of market that they occupy where they've really sold over the market and the clients entirely. So yeah, we're not not quite there yet for sure. Yeah, which which is strange because you know if you think just about everybody engages with buildings or the built mm. environment, yeah, you know, or infrastructure. Everything you do involves the built environment. So it's not yeah. that the built environment isn't important to to everybody. And then you know most people need information about the built environment. So yes, yeah, when, when they're engaging it. So, so it's not so it's not as if people don't need information <laughs> mm, mm, and, yeah, and having and, and having information in a sort of static paper-based outdated missing you know yeah. <laughs> uh, format is is obviously having an impact on everybody in, in the way they they do their jobs uh, yeah from a productivity so, perspective it definitely doesn't help does it yeah mm. so, uh, so so probably the area where people feel disengaged is the modeling piece you know it's, it's just mm. It just seems that, um, you know, if you're a project manager or a quantity surveyor or a solicitor or a financer, or whatever, you, you know, you just, that's the piece you think, well, that's mm. got nothing to do with me. Yeah. Yeah. It's still, still definitely uh, that mentality here as well. Um, especially with, um, a lot of project managers. Some of the builders are coming to the plate now, which is great. So we've got like, say, Hanson Yunkin. They're quite well known for getting their hands on the BIM process now when it comes to site. Um, but yeah, we're still sort of waiting to see more of the, the middle, the middle players come to the plate and I guess see more companies heavily engage the client when it comes to BIM as well. So sort of reverse brief quite convincingly. So there's definitely a bit of a, bit of a challenge there for us. Mm. Mm. One of our previous podcasts, uh, one of the speakers said, uh, you know, it's at the moment just, it's too complicated and it's too, for mm. people to engage and we, we need to to take away the friction and make it easy. You know, yeah, there's a lot of moving parts, isn't there? Yeah. Mm. Like, it's like, you know, like ordering a flight online, you know, it's like everybody can do it. You know, it's yeah. not, it's, it's complicated, a, it's, complica um, it's complicated yeah. in the yeah. background, obviously. Yeah. Engaging with, with, I think yeah. some of that's the, um, the straggler effects that's we're seeing take hold now. Like there are some leaders that are quite far ahead of the game now. And um, I am noticing there's a bit of a uh, like a reactionary movement to sort of dismissing BIM um, just because, you know, some people are just so far behind the eight ball that how can you possibly catch up? So I know that, that sometimes that's like an attribution to the, the effect of the, you know, how can we ever keep up with this sort of mentality or the dismissal of BIM, I guess. So what excites you about this sector and what frustrates you about I mean, I guess for me, um, one of the biggest things that excites me about BIM architecture construction is, is systems. I'm, I'm a very systematic person. Um, sorry, that's my cat in the background. You might be able to hear him. Um, but uh, I'm very systematic. So I love seeing when a process has rigor behind it and people can apply themselves to it. So it may not necessarily be, say, like a model. It might be a meeting where everyone planned ahead really thoroughly and it all came together and everyone was hyperproductive as a result. And I see a lot of that, you know, in the AAC industry. And I, I've caused a lot of it as well on some projects I've worked on. I also like the idea that we're all sort of a little bit nerdy. <laughs> like I, I've, I've sort of said that before. Sometimes I look around the company and I go, you know, we're all sort of on computers. And I've always been a little bit 
a little bit of a nerd throughout my life and I sort of suddenly realized we all came together and we all have a lot more in common than we like to think. Even like builders, like some of them, you know, try to come across quite bravado-ish and then you talk to them a bit more and you find out we all sort of liked the same things in high school. <laughs> so I do like that aspect of it. There's definitely like a sense of community in, in the AEC industry, which is really interesting because obviously we're all very diverse, but you can sort of connect a lot of threads between while we're all sort of doing what we're doing, which I guess is to build the built environment. But in terms of frustrations, obviously, when when processes don't work or when processes aren't embraced or allowed, that's always a, a big frustration, especially when, you know, you put all this work into an idea and you, you set it up to, to go and then maybe one person has a different idea and it's all dismissed and you get to watch it basically just crumble in front of your eyes. That uh, We've all probably had that situation at least once in our careers i'm sure when you know, we, we built something up to watch it fall but um but i guess that's part of the challenge and it sort of is another thing i like about the industry that it's challenging you know you never know what each day is going to hold every day's dynamic and different so yeah, it's it's a it's sort of a hate to love or a love to hate sort of relationship um with what we do i guess yeah how, how about yourself what, what do you find well the slow pace of change i think mm. for, for me has been the most frustrating thing you know we've yeah. been at this for 11 years now. Yeah, and we're still talking Try, about line weights. Trying to, yeah. trying to help help people embrace the BIM process and, um, mm. you know, and it's just watching people for themselves um, struggle through really complicated and slow and mundane and tedious tasks, you know. Yeah. Even just the things that we shouldn't be struggling through, I find it quite uh, frustrating whenever I get involved in a conversation about um, technical standards like line weights and naming conventions and what what should we number our drawings. That's why I was so happy to start reading through the um the British National Annex and finally see someone just put a, a line in the sand and say, here it is. Hmm. Yeah, people spend an enormous amount of time arguing about things. You said, look, can we not just agree on something and move yeah. on? Yeah, a standard, just use it. It's, like, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's usable and... Uh, you know, why do we have to have a two-hour conversation about whether one code should be before another code? And <laughs> yeah, we almost care too much sometimes, don't we, about the sweat, the small stuff. You you seem to be taking a direction in you know with Dynamo and programming and yep. I mean John John Egan is also um, you know with an architectural background, but he's gone into software development. And John, do mm -hmm. you what do you think from your point of view? I think you both, like one of the main points that you, you both bring to the table is that doing BIM is too complicated. My father is construction industry. I've studied architecture. I've worked on the building sites. It's sort of in my blood. And I would think that it's really interesting about, you know, you've just touched on standards, for instance. How is Australia adapting or adopting like ISO 19650 mm. or information management standards or is it mm. to my mind it's it's like the one uh, the hymn sheet for BIM mm. and because it has been standardized it is now entered you know a commodity um, stage of um, of its or as a like as a, as a technology it's it's almost that commodity layer now that we can all mm. just focus on and build our technology on top of and yeah, exactly. yeah i suppose mm. what is australia doing to do or to um to build on top of it are they doing anything different or are they kind of keeping it at arm's length and kind of approaching cautiously or 
response? Yeah, What's your take on that? Probably the latter for the most part. I, I've seen it varies quite a lot across the board, depending on the company's maturity with BIM or um, I guess how proactively they're trying to future-proof um, or how open their ears are to, to the world. Um, there, there are some major companies that are already, um, you know, going for certification and trying to, you know, get right on the front foot. Like I know some of the, the larger construction bodies like CIMIC, they've, um, they've already been getting certified and I believe Oricon, I think they were, they were certified recently as well. Um, so some companies are very much on board. Um, they, they've seen the value in just standardizing the things that don't have any, any financial merit as a business to, to, to worry about. So they can get on with what actually makes them, you know, unique as a design company. But there are other companies, especially the smaller, you know, more traditional firms that probably just, you know, will wait until it's literally something they have to do before they put any money on time towards it and continue to toil away at, you know, something that's in place of it in the meantime. I guess the companies I've been through, there's been lots of variation, but I guess the common thing I've always had, luckily, at each company is that they have been aware. That's one good thing. Most companies know that, that there are ISOs and that they are, you know, for the most part worth following. Um, they are more or less tried and tested. And while some of our software can't do 100% of the things they ask for, it's still worth doing, doing the most we can and then contributing. I'd say probably the, the most development I see that maybe contributes to the ISOs comes through such organizations as Building Smart, where they have a lot of forums and events where people, you know, get together and sort of brainstorm some of these challenges that probably make it back to the, the people actually developing them. That, that's probably the main sort of body that gets gets the communication across, um, sort of those nexus organizations that connect us all together, um, like a bit of an arterial network. But I guess personally, I mean, I've only really just got my head right around the ISOs about maybe six months ago before that I sort of picked up bits and pieces. And, you know, I can see the value in just getting on board with them and rather than poo-pooing them because two things don't work out of 300, you just get on board with the 300 and you pick out the last two and discuss them in a forum instead. So yeah, definitely, definitely all for them. And I think, I think it's a great move and can't wait until we all stop, stop arguing about the small things and, you know, move forward as an industry. I think one of the biggest challenges um, in adopting the standards is probably companies who, you know, or organizations that, that have spent you know, a lot of money and time developing conflicting standards yeah or they have infrastructure and, 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 in their system yeah, already set up to yeah, handle and, it. yeah yeah they, so they have a vested interest in sort of, uh, perpetuating whatever they've done you know because i think if, if a company or an organization doesn't have any standards then adopting a standard is obviously quite easy uh, obviously the, work, I mean, the, the, work, the work's done for you <laughs> yeah i mean i'd be a bit worried if a company had no standard at this point but i guess some occasionally we get surprised, um, don't we? <laughs> um, yeah, well, yeah. they have, they, they might have a standard, but it's not, well, it's not a standard in that if it's something that, if they work their way and it's nobody else works their way, then it's not really, a, it yeah. might be an internal standard, but it's not a, a standard. In mm. I think, I think one great thing that's really pushed everyone together a bit closer to talk about it is even just things like BIM 360, where you get exposed to the full DMS system and you sort of have to semi-rationalize how it all plays together. That, that's probably been quite good at proliferating some good practice as well. When you work with the big, bigger companies and the smaller fish go, hey, we should probably just try their system because we know it works for them. So that, that's been probably one way I've seen it be successful as well. Like I know people work with, say, Arif and Oricon and those bigger bodies that have pretty much standardized themselves to a T. It does tend to brush off quite a lot. So that's another way it sort of, sort of is moving. But yeah, it's, it's moving slow and there's, 
a lot of people that are probably ignorant to it as well, but but still seeing a lot of good movement in the right direction now that we actually have a direction to follow, I guess. Yeah, so do you think that you we're going to see an increase in the number of SMEs um, adopting BIM, or do you think that the ISO 19650 and these, the proliferation of these standards will actually enable, um, I suppose, it, it, they do reduce risk um, for yeah. the SME, um, and it is like like a hymn book or, or the playbook for BIM, do you think yeah. that... No, I think anyone no involved is is has got something to win out of a standardized system. I don't think anyone would ever say lose money from it unless they put you know a lot of time into it. So I think everyone involved in BIM has something to to win out of it, even if it is just knowing what a report's called and finding the report at the crucial time because there's a system to follow. Like it could be something as simple as as that, all the way down to you know having an asset management strategy that translates into an FM period. There's a lot of different scales of win, but I think everyone's got something to win out of it. Yeah. As somebody who's worked as a you know, BIM manager, a BIM coordinator, you know, BIM consultant, do you feel people think that if you if they have you on board, then that's sort, then the, the whole project's sorted. You know, they, they've got the one expert, and that's all we that's all we need. And they and they don't really appreciate that BIM is a is a collaborative effort of. Yeah, you got it. Um, that is one of my frustrations, actually. You reminded me of that does happen. It, it was it was actually a big motivator to me eventually sort of moving out into my own space to have the freedom to dictate what I do. Because you're right, sometimes those champions of BIM do become the custodians of the system as well. And it, it's a hard one because I guess a lot of architects and engineers and people, they didn't really, you know, come into this for, for BIM. So I do sympathize to them, just like I don't like doing a one to two detail, for example. I guess they don't like reading an ISO that talks about what a document should be called or something like that. So I do sympathize to why it happens. But I guess, yeah, you're, you're right. You do end up getting pigeonholed sometimes into a, a super role that takes on probably a few more hats than it should. Like say a QMS manager that's not fully on board with the QMS standards. I know that happens in a lot of companies and that the BIM manager becomes like a mini QMS manager of sorts and you know they know more about the document numbering system than anyone else does sometimes because they've had to develop the title block to house the parameters and all those sorts of tediums so so yeah that, that does happen um, and I won't lie it has happened to me before <laughs> um, so yeah and, and again it's, it's part of this thing about you know BIM being almost like a separate profession or not but mm-hmm. you know my, my, my background is I'm an architect I suppose I always understood that I mean, there were two parts to being an architect. One was to sort of dream up the ideas and, you know, but then you had to communicate that idea to other people. Yep. You know, to, yeah. Because it's like you, you, and the communication of that idea was through information. So, yeah, you know, I always, mm-hmm. I always understood the role of the architect uh, as a communicator of an idea through a medium of yep. information and the better the information was, the better yeah, the idea well. was communicated. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. That That's a fantastic definition. I think that's pretty much how I see it as well, um, that, you know, we are essentially communicators. You know, the idea is born in, in our mind's eye and our job is to communicate it to the people to bring it into reality. So regardless of the vessel or the or the, the, the method, it's that's really our job. Yeah, so it's it's really just a culture shift, I think, for the most part, in that people yeah. are very used to doing things in a different way and, BIM isn't, isn't necessarily always what seems like the easiest way at first because maybe it involves more work sometimes, maybe it involves less work sometimes. Um, but, yeah, I, I agree entirely with that definition. It's brilliant. 
and maybe that's the the kind of message we ICT, which is you know information and communication technology. It's mm. it's this communication and and what architects and engineers call design. You know, design is a, a process of coming up with an idea and mm. putting it into a form of communication that other people can understand. Now, yeah, exactly. They, They're very intertwined. Yeah. I also noticed that most people can't read drawing. Yeah, so I mean, the the ability yeah. to read a drawing is something that you you have to learn and go to school or college yeah. to, to, to I almost to put understand. it in the same it's the same boxes almost to me as someone who can't detect where north is at any time in their life uh, I've, I've always been one of those people I always know where north is and I always get perplexed when I ask someone is it east or west and they sort of start spinning around on the spot and <laughs> It's the same same sort of same sort of thing. We just we, we think differently about the world that we live in. We sort of visually relate what we do to something in our mind's eye that people can't quite put themselves in, I guess I've noticed. So it's I don't know if it's exactly the same thing, but it's that phenomenon that some people can naturally look at a something quite schematic or think in quite a schematic way and apply it to their reality. Because we we've been thinking a lot about this role of BIM coordinator, BIM manager and you know, if it is like the ISO is quite clear that on a particular project there'll be many BIM coordinators. Each so each yeah. co- company that's making a contribution to the project is meant to have a BIM coordinator. Yeah, yeah so, I mean that's such a crucial role. Uh, even when I was a BIM manager, I always relied very heavily on the BIM coordinators I worked with to really keep everything together. Because whilst the BIM manager can oversee and sort of overarch it all, holding it together, that you really need that glue to. To keep it running so yeah the BIM coordinators are essential and I'm, I've been trying to sort of encourage more BIM coordinators in the industry because we do have a lot of technicians that don't realize they can be coordinators it's a sort of like an innate skill that they don't recognize they have so yeah they're, they're very crucial. You mentioned earlier the, the silos and the fragmentation that, that's mm. happened in, in what happens in the industry and I suppose mm. one of the things we're trying to do with the AEC Hive is create community, in other words, try and break down those silos and bring people together and talk to each other and share mm. ideas. And um, do you find people find that difficult to share ideas? And you know, Yeah, sometimes. I think when money's involved, it's hard. I think when people can attach a profit to an idea, that's when it gets more difficult. Or when people can attach a um, amount of time that they've worked on something, they sort of don't want to share it. Like p- part of what I do on my channel is quite... Um, quite even difficult for me to do when I go and put a, a video together and I write a script and someone just comes to me with a comment and says, give me the script. And like, there's this little voice in my head going, don't do it, don't do it. They don't deserve it. But I'm like, no, no, everyone deserves it. It's information. Like I'm just sharing an idea. The script isn't what valid, what's valuable. The idea is what's valuable. So I think that the idea that, you know, things have to be held back if you've put too much time into it, that that's very hard for a lot of people. And I, even I had to sort of confront my own inherent sort of bias towards, you know, the, the custodianship of ideas versus um versus I guess material so that that's sort of part of what I did with my channel I really tried to open it right up like I mean I've got a github now where all the all the scripts and the presentations just go straight up in in source format and I think that's that's really the key and I think I'm, I'm seeing a lot of other people start heading down that path realizing that sometimes their time isn't isn't you know, the right thing to be charging for sometimes they are better off actually building meaningful connections out of people and that's actually where true opportunity comes from like in my in my current business most of my leads actually come to me through my channel if anything like what i've done's actually probably made made me more successful than i would have been if i just showed 
some cool ideas and made people pay for them. So yeah, it's definitely a different way of thinking that we need. What do you think, John? I know you have some views yeah, on these open, open yeah. source. Yeah, no, I, I think it's, it's really interesting what you're saying. Like I've always been this debate amongst like, you know, Dynamo and Grasshopper users around trying yeah. to monetize scripts and, and that kind of thing. And mm. I think that what you're saying is a really nice middle ground there where yes you can share but it's you know it's not the actual script that um generates the value for the for the author it's um the further business and an opportunity that comes as a result of that like do you have i suppose from kind of being at the uh coal face in terms of you know, having to navigate this space in terms of, you know, trying to feed yourself and and build these hugely valuable things that can mm. can trans you know, scripts essentially automate and yep. that that you're automating in terms the receiver of the script can derive a lot of value from that. And yeah. I'm yeah, it's a great um, point. Yeah, I mean, I, you're right. There is a certain level of, I don't know what the word would be for it, selflessness. That occasionally there's, you know, money now that is lost and, you know, I, I could, I could just pay all everything I do. And, and I think that's, that's why it is good that people do go into software development because that's when I do see the worth in charging for things because then they are packaging it into a very, um, you know, clean and stable, bug free, usually bug free solution to the problem and that's where the, the real hard work lies like i'm just getting into c sharp now as a programming language and i can really see the amount of work required to package an idea into something as sophisticated as say like a plugin or a program i think that's probably where maybe that, that i'll draw the line when i get to that point whereas for now i guess given i'm already working on top of an open source program by someone else i, I almost feel like if i if i charge for a script it would almost be disingenuous to the intent of that the program that was provided to me in the first place. So it's almost to me a little bit like passing on the buck that was given to me. Cause it, you know, if I didn't have Dynamo, I'd be, I'd be still wasting a lot of, a lot of my time, I guess, doing a lot of very, um, manual clunky things. But at the same time, you're right. I do have to eat. I do have to, I do have to survive. So yeah, that there is a, a line, I guess I subconsciously drew in my head at some point. And, you know, I do know when the channel will sort of reach its peak and I know when I'll probably, you know, look at things like putting up LinkedIn learning courses instead of just always putting out YouTube videos. But for now, I guess it was me just sort of giving back what I think, you know, the industry was owed and what the industry probably needs as well. Just a bit of information to, to streamline the, the, the growth of learning that is available to say graduates and sometimes people in, you know, third world countries that can't afford more than just the cost of the internet to watch a video in the first place, let alone a, a course admission fee. So yeah, but there is a there is a degree of selflessness to it that I had to sort of force upon myself. Yeah. Do you think there's a lot of clunky, tedious things to solve? I mean, mm. is there is there a big need for software development? Yeah, I uh, think there is, but I think again, simplifying yeah. a lot of what 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 has been very complex, like where ninety percent of the people in the industry can't engage with these technical yeah. processes because there's, there's no tools available for them to. Yeah, it's a bit of a double-edged sword that we have to be careful to sort of hold pretty evenly because I'm seeing two sides of the paradigm. One is that, you know, there's, there's a lot of people still inefficiently working, but at the same time, I know there's a lot of people going and programming and making things that other people have made. So there is a sort of aspect of redundancy on both sides of the coin. And we do have to be careful not to just, you know, code for the sake of coding or, or code for the sake of putting up a, a little 
20 second video showing how cool we are and how we solve the problem that no one else is going to solve because they don't have the scripts. So there is like a, a yeah, an essence of redundancy that we do have to avoid as programmers and that I think we're obligated to avoid as programmers because what's the point unless it, you know, goes on to do something that saves more time than the time we put in. Yeah, so there, there is an essence of that there, but there's a lot of things that can be automated. There are some things I'll never do the way I did them again before I came to Dynamo. For example, placing sheets, uh, views on sheets in the same position as one view. Um, I haven't done that for two years because I found a way in Dynamo to do it. And now I just go and set up one view in the right spot on each sheet and then just get an Excel sheet and direct all the views to where I need them. So it just depends on the task, yeah. Yeah, just to continue on from that, like one of my pet peeves, I suppose, is actually observing people on Twitter talking about, oh, I've done this in C Sharp and this in mm. Python and go and learn Python because it'll free it'll free you to do whatever you want. Yeah. And like you've identified, it is hugely challenging to learn a programming mm. language. Yeah. And as someone that's been writing JavaScript for the last three or four years. Oh, boy, that's like, hard. I well, you say it's hard, but to me, I guess, for yeah. Me, yeah, for me, there was no other option at the time that I was learning. So, like, mm. we were writing a lot of servers, um, and we were mm. using Node.js, and um, so you know, I, I, I was kind of strong-armed into that. And there are tools today, like you know, no-code tools and yeah. uh, let's say low-code tools that, yeah. Uh, so just yeah, just clarify there, like no code as just drag and drop, uh, yeah. configure workflows through UI, and then mm-hmm. low code being uh, a mix of that and like APIs. And of, yeah, you're able to write uh, write some code that you know within each um, module, for instance, or yeah. it, so it requires an, your next level of yeah, like a DLL um, or something you're drawing upon, yeah. I'm not a Windows uh, developer. I'm uh, okay. uh, so I'm Linux, oh, Linux yeah, cool, only, cool. and uh, yeah. So, um, wh- yeah. So I suppose, like, what I see is a lot of people saying, "Oh, yeah, go and write, write some Python, or go and write." And I just don't think that, like, in today's environment, I think that there is a lot of low-code and no-code solutions available that can actually allow people to create web apps just from dragging and dropping components. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. So, so you've like bubble.io um, as a no-code solution. Uh, and then as a low-code solution, you have Node-RED. Um, so that's a, a, like a visual programming environment quite similar to Dynamo, mm. um, where you're dragging and dropping. Pre- so there's like uh, 3,000 different nodes you can choose from, all contributed by the community. You have a Slack group of about 7,000 people, um, all just, you know, it's a really active environment. And like for me, what it what it allows, I, I suppose, like like you identified at the start of the call, um, like Dynamo and Grasshopper bring programming to the masses. Yep. Like for me, Node Red and which is low code, this low code solution that create like can be used to create fully functioning web applications. Mm. Um, that is like, I would always say, no, don't go and learn code because mm. it, it is quite difficult. Yeah. Like you have to learn about before you even start doing anything with, with code, you have to like understand, um, Fundamental you know, everything concepts. from, 
Yeah, yeah the fundamental concepts, everything from like the file system, your development environment, all of the, mm. you know, your frameworks, your back end, your front end, your like it's and then you're into like if you if you worry about your deployment, like your mm. DevOps, it's like it's yeah. just it's just one thing. It's, nice a, a, yeah. it's a minefield. And yeah, I find for the construction industry, especially and people that are like architects, engineers, contractors, you're never going to have the time to become proficient in programming. And I can tell you, like, I believe that because. I've been three or four years at it, and my first two years, I, w- I spent practically ten hours a day trying to trying to become yeah. proficient at it. Yeah. And I mean, like I noticed, you said, "Oh yeah, I'm learning C sharp." Mm. Now, can you can you tell me why you're learning C sharp? Yeah, definitely. Continue because I find that yeah, it's it's like I I get that you're you to try and forecast your answer here. Um, which probably defeats the whole point of this podcast. Oh, give me a try. <laughs> Might prove you wrong. <laughs> Is that you're going to talk about optimizing an existing automation. And like if you're doing, if this automation, such as the sheets that you've already identified, is automating to the point that it's a thousand times faster mm. and writing it in, in code would make it 12,000 or, you know, 2,000 yeah, times. Two five. seconds instead of one. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. What, what, what a second back. For a second, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I'm kind of, I'm yeah. really interested in your perspective there. And, yeah, it's uh, a great question. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it leads on to one of sort of the points I always make about code, which is that, like, you sort of do need to know where to stop. Otherwise, you'll just be learning new things for the rest of your life. And before you know it, that's your life. Um, so there is that idea that you really do need, like, your end goal in mind, or you need to, keep revisiting what you're doing and saying, am I just doing this to just go, wow, that was so much faster or look how cool this code is now. It's so much better than my first time, even though that's the same thing. And I think for me, I started with Dynamo just because it did what what I needed it to do. Um, I, I went on to Python from there just because it could do more than Dynamo could do in that I could sort of reach further into the programs, inner workings and do things that weren't necessarily developed yet. Um, but there was that aspect of, redundancy I had to avoid because obviously there's a lot of other developers out there building their own custom packages and you know there's no point in me just going and building something that someone else can do with their package unless it's you know fundamentally flawed and doesn't work um, which is pretty rare Um, and I guess C sharp for me was just a way to reach just that little bit further again into the API um, to access a few things that I couldn't get into that I need um, just to automate some more advanced workflows Um, say one I'm looking at the moment for example is how to automatically create an area plan with all the boundaries pre-drawn based on the rooms from a building, um, which is it's not impossible to do using Dynamo, but to do it in Dynamo would probably take just as long for me to learn how the API could achieve it. Um, so, yeah, there, there's that idea of just sort of trading time, um, time spent on an idea versus time learning a way that is, is more efficient and will ultimately give a better solution that probably is, you know, going to have less bugs and, mean less people email me when I go and release it on my GitHub inevitably. So there's definitely that aspect of making sure that what you do isn't just for yourself or for the sake of saving one second that you're not going to use anyway. So yeah, I I totally agree with that. Mm. I always, I always tell people as well, you've got to like sort of walk before you run. There's no point in 
you know, starting in C-sharp, if all you need to do is just do a basic workflow that Dynamo could achieve if you just spent a little bit of time playing with the with the fundamentals. Yeah, so I totally agree. It's a great point. A lot of coders need to think about it. And one I mean, of the, you know, coming back to the point earlier that the ultimate goal of all this is to communicate information yes. from an, or communicate an idea through mm-hmm. information. Um, the you know the I just feel that the the, the ultimate communication tool that we have is the internet. You know, because mm-hmm. we yeah. can move information from one person to another person. You know, that's in a, in a different location. And um, mm-hmm. so I just feel that at the moment we use a lot of desktop tools, yep. you know, to produce the information. And then we, once we've produced it, then we kind of push it out through the Internet to other people. And then they use a desktop tool on the other side to Sending do something with it. Uh, yeah. But you, you would imagine that the future... You know, people are going to say, well, why do we need these? Why does, why do we need these desktop tools? Why can't we do these things, you know, mm. in the cloud, like in the yeah. internet? <laughs> yeah, but there's a few shifts, like, like on yeah, so, 360 Forge, for example, there's a few shifts in that direction, yeah. Yeah. Mm. So, do you, do you, yeah, so the, the building of tools, um, will I, I imagine would move from building desktop tools to building web-based tools. Mm. That, must be, that must be yeah. yeah so that that must be the future of uh, yeah, I agree. the AEC sector and um, mm. you, you know and then it's I think the other big move I think is that at the moment we have these very complicated desktop tools that mm. do lots of things you know and most people and they they're expensive to be honest mm. uh, and and most people use maybe five or ten percent of the Features the functionality of the tool. So, mm. uh, but they have to buy the whole, you know, monster of the tool. <laughs> yeah. I mean, all, all it is a perfect example buying the entire AC yeah. collection because it's only an extra thousand dollars on top of what you already pay for Revit. So, and we yeah. only so, so you, you would imagine the future of tools and mm. would be apps, you know, like the your phone. Like you, you choose the apps you mm. want to use that are important to you, and they just do a little thing, mm. um, but they're connected. Yeah, I mean, I guess to to get to that point, we all need to find our little thing that we do as well. That's maybe a big challenge in it as well. Really finding a way for all these roles to play in together to a to a seamless process. Like you know, having a, a Facebook of a project, for example, where everyone has a predefined function and it all naturally chains together, and the apps all work hand in hand to deliver a project. Because that that is what's led to a lot of our fragmentation. That we all use these proprietary programs in ignorance of what each other use. Um, you know, if an architect uses ArchiCAD and the uh, engineer uses Autodesk programs, that there's surely going to be a debate about IFC somewhere in that team at some point about, you know, why can't we use our Revit model and, you know, why can't you use our IFC files? And, yeah, so I agree that, like, an app or a web-based solution so, is probably yeah, enough. And, the, and that's where, coming back to standards, that's where the standards mm. are really important and, and help mm. because if you're building a little app, you know, if it doesn't work with with the standards of exchanging information with other apps, then you know, then you've just built a, another silo. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and if and if yeah. there's a lot of work in between to try and take the information that you're producing and repurpose it to yeah. be used by another app, then 
you've sort of defeated the purpose as well. So you know. yeah, I have seen a bit of movement in um, I think Blender BIM that they're, they're trying to create an open BIM platform. I think it's still very early, but um, that's probably the, the closest thing I've seen to someone trying to sort of go against the proprietary nature of everything in the industry right now and that they're really focusing quite heavily on you know building true ifc data that can be worked with in in other programs but but yeah we're not quite there yet but i agree it's probably the future for us i'd say mm. it must be Just, the biggest challenge at the moment is this manual translation of information between applications oh yeah I, i've literally built dynamo scripts to manually transplant data between models before just to get around the limitations of how we set things up so it's a huge challenge all vendors seem to build their tools so they're that that they're at the center of the ecosystem and they're mm. the center of their users' worlds. Well, they sort Whereas, of win, don't they? Yeah, that's natural, I suppose. If, yeah. you're, if you're building a soft a, a product, yeah, yeah, almost like Archicad's built its own IFC prison and Revit's built its own anti-IFC prison. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> To my mind, like it's like we've a, a like a distributed landscape, or a, sorry, a landscape of distributed applications. But all the applications are architected so they're, you know, they're they're centralized to themselves and mm. they don't connect very well with one another. And like the work that so I'm involved with the Building Smart Open CD API oh, great. group, yep. and and the work that we're doing in that group is all geared towards abstracting the common concepts to each of these centralized platforms, mm. so that we can have a common language to be able to share information between between these systems. Mm. It's really, yeah, it's really, it's, it's a huge. Yeah, <laughs> you're trying to basically yeah. build a translator for all sorts of things, and, and of course they're always changing too. That's the fun part. But well, yeah, I mean it's yeah, great that you're doing it because someone has to. It's a brilliant initiative. So the so like it's in terms of it being a translator, like the tra the onus is on us to derive a schema or you know, essentially mm -hmm. something that's flexible enough that can cater for all the requirements of all these different systems working with one another. But mm. the onus is also on the, the uh, vendor themselves to build to be the involved. mapping mechanism that will actually allow them connect. Yeah, no, I wish I saw more computer. of that. Yeah, yeah mm. but it, like what's really interesting then is that you have these competing business models belong mm. to the different vendors. So there's almost an incentive to, you know, keep these guys or an incentive for the, for the vendor themselves to um, I suppose withdraw from engaging with this open standards mm. um, initiative. I like to sometimes and, compare it to Apple and Android, how the, the Apple chargers don't work in the Android phones and <laughs> everyone always has to go, who's got the right charger? And it's almost like saying who's got the program that can open this model. It's the same sort of thing. Really. Just it's human nature to build up walls so that people can't take our little piece of the pie. It's a, but it's very counterproductive. So yeah, it's, it's a challenge. Like, like, I mean, that seems to be the biggest problem mm. to my mind in AEC. Like, BIM is fundament fundamentally difficult to adopt yep. because of limitations such as such as the ones we're discussing. Mm. And if they were easier, 
maybe a lot more people would would come on board. Um, I have no doubt. You know, um, yeah. like, like Ralph was uh, alluding to earlier with the flight industry, they hide the complexity away. Yeah. Now, what would I wonder? Like, what? To my mind, there's a huge correlation between. Um, removing this complexity and making it as easy as sky, uh, sky scanner, mm. let's say, for instance, for flights and the adoption rate. So I, I, I predict that, you know, the easier we make BIM for people, the more people will use it. Yes. And yeah, I mean, like, do you think, do you get the sense that we're almost looking at optimizing our, in our own little silos. So, for instance, you know, you're using uh, Dynamo to optimize uh, Grass or your use of uh, Revit mm. or, you know, the, the tasks that you have to do in Revit. Mm. But that's fine. You know, Autodesk are quite happy that you're doing that within within yeah. their silo. But like it's like we're all blind to the bigger problems. And yeah, yes, there's this ISO 19650 thing that we're like, oh, yeah, that, that really works. But it's really difficult, you know, so mm. many people aren't going to aren't going to begin to engage with it until we make it simpler. So it's like mm. we're being held at ransom by these vendors who are just, you know, keeping us in our silos. And we're, we're sort of polishing, we're, the pris- polishing the prison bars, yeah. <laughs> gold, gold plating them, yeah. It's, a, it's, it's funny, isn't it? We're sort of locking ourselves in, yeah. It, it is a bit of a challenge. I mean, there is a lot of um, interest I'm sort of having in some initiatives, even like really small ones that aren't necessarily opening up the floodgates, but they're sort of making opportunities between programs, even like Rhino Inside. There's interesting little experiments, always one directional, of course. It's never a collaboration, but... But, um, yeah, there is just some funny little chinks in the armor showing sometimes and seeing people get involved with that. But, yeah, I mean, the bigger picture is trying to find a way to get these things all to work together, ultimately. Um, mm. Yeah, it's, it's a wicked problem. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, and, and I... And I think that working together has to be in, in the web. You know, it can't be mm. desktop anymore. Because <laughs> yep. we, we're all sitting in different locations, using different tools, mm. different devices, you know, so somehow the, that information has to come together in the web. And, you should, mm. you know, and I guess our current situation so, sort of shows so, 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 that more than ever. So, yeah. 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 But, but there's, there's two functions. So people have, will be feeding information into that web resource, if you like. Mm. Like when you book a flight, you're going to type yep. your name in, your address, and the yeah, date you, you want to fly. And, yeah. you, and, and you, you're pushing some information into the 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 web resource and then it's it's sending you stuff back you know like mm. yes it's confirmed and this is the date and this is your reference number uh you know and th- it doesn't matter whether you're using a phone or a laptop or safari mm. or you know google chrome or yeah you know, that's almost irrelevant like you mm. you use the tools and the device that that you prefer Mm. Uh, but you're feeding the information into a, a central resource, and you're drawing information from a central resource. And you know, that, yeah, that's the goal. And, and 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 in the same way that Android and Apple sort of opened up their platforms for people to develop app, what what they thought were useful apps. You know, mm. the market will tell if it's a useful app or not by whether it's yes, being used. Whether people buy it. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, I guess um, the question too is when we open, if we do get to this utopic sort of centralized platform, I guess how do we protect them, the industry from falling into having two websites or three websites or four websites and this one's a little bit cheaper that it's going to become a, conscript, a subscription in two years? <laughs> It's that, that well, way of protecting our industry as well from, from... Again, I think the market will decide. You know, like mm. we, we've we ended up now with Android and Apple yep. um, <laughs> or smartphones. <laughs> but they're still two. They're still two. You know, they're worth yeah. three or four, and then the market decides which, which is most useful. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And no, so, it's like, I, I don't think we're going to completely avoid that. It would be nice to avoid it, but I don't think yeah. people will try all so, sorts of things. So to continue on with that analogy, Rob, do you foresee that we're going to have an Apple and Android in the construction industry? Because what we're tending to see and the patterns of evolution of these big platforms such as Autodesk, BIM 360, you know, let's just choose them as an example here. Mm. They are focusing on the full life cycle of the, that's that's a, their eventual plan is to provide the backbone system that can provide all the features for the full life cycle from concept design through to operations. Mm. And you, if you look at their, if you look at their um, patterns of acquisition, that was their whole reason of for PlanGrid was PlanGrid is now their construction site field component of that, of Mm. that workflow. And they were essentially buying the features for the users to engage with this BIM 360 platform. So, mm. like, if we take those guys and then we'll let's take Procore as well, because they're a good example. So they're, they've started in construction, and now we see that they're starting to bring in, introduce BIM modules. So BIM mm. modules being, um, you know, their way of, I suppose, taking that first step into the design phase of the um so to make that bridge between construction and design and i'm wondering are we going to see these mega ac corporations building mega platforms that provide this this array you've seen seen it already haven't you because i mean Mm -hmm. you have autodesk with the 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 forge uh, model Mm. Which, which is their own proprietary format. And, uh, and then you have Bentley, you know, with the I model. So they're already working like that, but yeah. they're all working on, on proprietary it, formats. I mean, they're and... developer tools. So what mm. I'm talking Well, I'm I mean, but about... when you, when you upload information to Forge, you know, it's converting it into a, a, it's, its own format. Yeah. 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 Um, and when you upload something to Bentley, it's you know it's using the i model format so mm. the, yeah. so you're you're already seeing the development of that and those are just two and i'm sure Trimble and Not more to come Ar- sure, yeah. Ar- Ar- oracle will you know so there's four yeah. i suppose big big players already um mm. or five maybe probably many we don't know about too yeah. that are still yeah. on the horizon yeah that's I mean, no, it's unfortunate that you know they haven't all settled on say the ifc format Mm. Yeah, they haven't. Um, I mean, Archicad's pushed a little bit closer towards it, but yeah, Revit hasn't really taken it on as as well as they could have. Yeah, I mean, I don't think we're ever going to see like a, a critical mass platform where everyone just goes, "Oh, we have to go to it." Like in some parts of the world, I think certain uh, corporations are putting more effort into sort of winning the market. Like in Australia, I think Autodesk probably has, you know, probably done a 
fair bit of work on trying to win the market here and arguably they might have but i know like say in europe for example it's it's a very different story so yeah i think as long as there's that little bit of competition around the world we're never gonna see like a single platform until until someone forces something that's just that efficient and that logical that it has to be the way we do things people just look at it and go you know what that's what we've been looking for you know i can see that the risk is mitigated and the process works and you can design well you can build well you can communicate well that that's probably what the tipping point will have to be or you might get I just, Google, Microsoft, or <laughs> I, think, I think we're more likely to see that because if you look at the way that this is going to, well, to my mind, the way it's going to evolve is that, like, if you even look at the the Nokia versus Apple, mm. um, wasn't a war really, but <laughs> we call it war. Um, Apple won because. They brought, they brought out the platform and the yeah. platform was, you know, brought, brought the developers to build these applications and mm. they created this feedback loop essentially between their customers and developers and the value that that platform grew or the, I suppose it grew exponentially and mm. like there was, and if we look at the likes of Procore and AKNX, like we're partnered as BIM Launcher, we build integrations um, for these platforms. They're like, we are now really considering, or sorry, as our future and our, and our strategy with our business is to develop applications that sit on these app yep. stores. And mm. let's say, for instance, BIM Launcher sees a niche that we, we, we see it. So, for instance, this is actually happening. Um, we, so we see a niche where there's uh, a BIM model validation gap in mm-hmm. the app stores. And let's say, for instance, we only support Procore and and Autodesk, and we're providing the value. Let's say, for instance, we're taking a two-hour task down to, you know, a couple of minutes task, and that task then can involve all the different stakeholders in the project. So it's just huge, or as huge efficiency gains. Yeah. Now, why would you go and use Trimble mm. if this tool doesn't work with Trimble? Yep. And I think that, yeah, I think that there's strong platform plays mm. at, in place by yeah. Autodesk, Procore, and the leading project management systems. And I believe, like like we've seen with Apple and Nokia, these guys will wipe out the need mm. for the other guys. Yeah, a bit and, of a digital Game and, of Thrones, yeah. And I think the, <laughs> I mean, the reason Apple won the, you know, the, the competition or whatever. In one of the reasons, I suppose, is that they made the, the offering something that was really nice to use, like it was usable, mm. f- user-friendly, easy, oh, you, UX on the, yeah, beautifully the, designed. Yeah, you know, so mm. like the the value of design and thought and you know user experience and mm. um, and and often, you know, I, I personally I find that missing in a lot of software development is that yeah i mean that, that was software, a really software big developed by yeah. by people that are you know are very intelligent and you know understand complex things mm. uh, and they often design software you know that would be useful for them but when yeah. when you get to people that are not at their level yeah and like yeah. revit is a is an incredible tool like but it's mm. you know most people are, da- are feel daunted by the whole 
experience of trying to learn how to use it. Yeah, I remember when I first used it and someone asked me to place a wall and I was terrified. <laughs> I had no idea how to do it. I was like, what do I do? Yeah. Like, I've got a wall, now what? <laughs> it was, yeah, uh, that's a huge yeah, learning so, curve. Yeah, I mean, the UX is such a huge part of any sort of development, I think, even with Dynamo when I was yeah. trying to build scripts for my last company. Um, putting user interfaces on the front of scripts and things like that was a much softer entry point for people. So it's, it's yeah. great to any platform we, we develop, yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's a, that's, anyway, we've come to the hour there, guys. Oh, well. uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was really fun. Um, <laughs> if you have any last questions, John? Gavin, would you consider using a low-code platform to build applications on top of platforms like BIM 360 and Procore and what other project management systems? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, with the right platform and the, I guess the right knowledge I have of how to do it, it would, it would seem like a logical thing because you're just building peripherals to something that already has a lot of use. Um, it, 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 I mean, you've, you've sold me on the idea already. It's definitely, I think, the future to find a platform and enhance it and make it more valuable rather than, you know, develop a whole new program that does something that, you know, would be better built onto something already capable of doing other things as well. Yeah. It's, it seems logical. So, yeah. It would I be. mean, low, low code is almost like Dynamo for the web, isn't it? It's, mm, mm. Um, so, so Dynamo is a, is a visual programming thing for, for a desktop application. Um, mm. No, something like, so it's just, <laughs> to, so low code or Dynamo is a low code solution. Yep. For a desktop, but it's it's interacting with a yeah, desktop application. Yeah, yeah. That's so it, yeah. something like Node-RED is is exactly, well, not exactly the same, but it's similar to Dynamo in that it has these blocks of code that you can visually assemble mm. uh, to interact with web applications. Mm. I mean, that's I'm I'm not a coder, but I mean that's the way I understand. Yeah, I mean I've definitely got um, homework to put it that way. <laughs> definitely got some things to look up well, and play with. Yeah. Re- reach out to me, Gavin, on the BIM launcher. We have, if you look up the GitHub, BIM launcher, GitHub, we have a Node-RED mm-hmm. getting started. So if you have Node.js installed in your machine, just clone yep. that, npm yep. install and npm uh, node index, and away you go and start dragging and dropping. So Yeah, no, I'm definitely yeah, like, definitely going to be doing that. So um, I'll reach out to you um, uh, later after this and um, yeah, see, see if I can have a bit of a play with it and expand my horizons a little bit. Talk, talk yeah, some more absolutely. ideas in future, and probably if you if you find me a year down the track, I'm sure I'll be into a whole different thing again. My focus is always changing. So, I suppose yeah. from the AC Hive point of view, like what would be really cool to see is a community starting in Australia of, of people who are focused on innovation, focused on helping each other. You know, <laughs> um, we we had our first event. In Dublin, and the, uh-huh. what we did was we we put a call out, and people set up their own little clusters or work groups, mm. and oh, they cool. defined their own challenges so that whatever it was they wanted to investigate, and, yeah. and it was kind of like a hackathon, but but I suppose slightly different in that people formed their teams sort of a grand, granular be, hackathon be, yeah. be, before the event, and then but they came, everybody came together for a day, so we had seven teams, about fifty people came together at an event space for a day, worked on their idea and presented it then to to the, the larger group. Um, so that's yeah. the kind of 
model, you know, and then obviously we let everybody know what people were doing. Um, but it's to try and encourage people to participate in innovation because you come together. Our feeling is innovation is not something that happens by accident. You know, it's Definitely. it's deliberate. It has to be thought about. You, you know, hmm. you've got to form ideas. You've got to form groups of the right people who can work together, uh, push the idea forward, and hopefully those ideas will eventually become products or services. The best way to sound a check an idea is to make sure someone can tell you it's a good idea. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I sort of like, I sort of am already sort of doing a tiny bit of a roundup in Australia, trying to start uh, at least putting the phone book together um, so that some, at some point I can press, you know, dial all and we can all organize a, a session either down at the pub or that's probably more, more the Australian environment for it, probably down at the pub, a couple of laptops yeah. out. Um, no beers near the laptop, of course. But <laughs> yeah. Well, if there's anything we can do to help that happen, please let us know because that's, that's can, exactly if what. Lift, if you can that's exactly what, <laughs> what, what what we want to see in a yeah. is is yeah. people doing these things and and, mm. and sharing. Mm. So if if you're doing something interesting and you'd like us to share that through the the wider community, we'd be happy to do that as well. And yeah, I mean, what once some um, you know we're all allowed out of our homes again and <laughs> I've got a bit of time to get my business back on its feet properly um, running again. I can probably um, pro- probably let you know what I'm up to then and see if I can get some people together and we can trade some ideas and you know, maybe there'll be like some online mediums we can use. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely keen to build collectives in, in the, the, the midterm um, and then obviously long term, see, see if they sort of form a, a bigger picture. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's great work that you're doing and, um, you know, we, we definitely need more of it in the industry. So, yeah, definitely happy to help. Okay. Any final words, Gavin? Um, just thanks. Thanks for having me on board. Um, and I guess if anyone wants to get in touch with me, I'm pretty much available on nearly every social media platform except for Facebook and Instagram. Um, so, and if you're ever looking for just some tutorials in BIM, feel free to check out my my channel, the Aussie BIM Guru. Um, and I, I take on topic requests too. So if you've got any ideas, just let me know. And um, I also just give people advice too on their careers. If anyone's looking for tips about what they should do if you're you know if you're struggling in this time trying to find a whether you should move to another company or is it not the right time i'd say probably not um but um you know just if you've got any of those sort of questions just reach out to me um i I try to sort of be a bit of a mentor figure in the industry as well um especially for graduates or people just getting started but yeah but but um aside from that i'm just thank you for having me on board and um had a really good time and it was great to meet you john um, and meet you again, Ralph, yeah, um, in, in, in invoice. Um, and if I'm ever on your side of the world, I'll definitely let you know once I'm, yeah. I'm allowed to get on a plane again. We'll buy you a Guinness. Oh, I'll, I'll definitely <laughs> take that. <laughs> Apparently, the Guinness in the Guinness Great. in Ireland is different to any of the Guinness. I have been told. Yeah, I look forward to trying real Guinness. <laughs> so thanks very, from my side, Gavin. Just want to say thanks very much. Uh, really appreciate your time and your input. Hey, it, was a, it was a great discussion and. Um, uh, we'll talk to you again. Yeah, and I guess I'll finish uh, just by saying I hope everyone's safe out there and we're all, everyone's staying productive and learning lots of new things and everyone's in good health. Um, yeah, wish everyone the best. <laughs>